Okay. Once You're again. On. Are we sure? Yeah. Yeah, we're on, man. All right, all right. This is inherently human, and Aiden famously has an excellent description of what this podcast is about. So, if you um, would the, elaborate, uh, please. The motto that I ad libbed in the very first episode that I've changed every single time. Um, <clears throat> but to the best of my memory, uh, it's all the things that you already know. Um, but we're just saying it for you, so you don't have to. And what I thought about in that context is, in another way, we are an adjunct of other people's brains. That is, we've had our individual experiences. Maybe people who are listening haven't had those exact experiences or haven't had them yet. So we're talking about stuff and thinking about things that they would probably echo had they had the same experience as we do. Right. I mean, I'm, that's... Creating Obviously, a realm of uh, empathy, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. It was. It, it's funny. I actually kind of wanted to talk about empathy today, so I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> because, All right. <laughs> um, the reason I wanted to bring it up because it's week six, week five, something like that, for PSU students right now, and so it's just getting into midterms, and people are getting pretty burnt out with classes. And so it's just kind of a struggle for everybody. And it's when my friends ask me or when people ask me uh, who are students as well, oh, hey, how you doing? Like, what's going on? And all I do is... And I look at them. Because it's a burden for you at this point. I mean, kind of. It's a struggle is what it is. But it's... I don't answer them necessarily. I just kind of... Look at them, look away, heavy sigh, shake my head, and everybody who I've done this to, they immediately are, oh yeah, nope, absolutely, me too. And it's, it's, it's very unique to have this realm of non-communication, yet be able to communicate everything you need to just by doing that. On the other hand, you are all in exactly the same context. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be very easy to be stressed by tests, by assignments that I still, well, not in the last few months, but I, for many years, have dreamed about college assignments that I have failed to finish. And I'm going to be judged on that soon because graduation is coming up and they seem so real that it isn't even funny. Well, do you end up feeling better after this little symbolic expression of the burden you face? Um, you know what? No, I don't. (laughs) It's, it's, I can, I can have whatever face I want and I can breathe or sigh as deeply as I want, but that doesn't get rid of the homework assignments that Mm -hmm. I've pushed off forever. Because that's just how college is going to be. That's how students are going to be. It's going to push off everything we can until the last minute, burden ourselves with it until we can't handle it anymore. But that's just how it is. That's how it's going to be. I know there are a lot of people out there who are not like that, who are really on it, and they're nerds. (laughs) <laughs> you really think so? I mean, no, I envy them. I truly do. So there really are people who are not stressed by going to college. 
That seems like a stretch to me. Everybody, if they're doing their max, are probably feeling like, I don't know if I'm good enough. Maybe. You always got to question yourself when you're, you're kind of, when you're in classes, in education yeah. mostly. Um, so what makes you do it? What makes me do it? Yep. Requirements of life. Are Which, my... well, okay, what do you mean by that? You mean getting a good job after you graduate. Yes. Is that right? Exactly that's the that. reason you're mm-hmm. putting yourself through this now. Exactly. So that's the payoff for you. I'm going to suffer now so I can prosper later. Is my theory in this? Interestingly enough, to me anyway. <laughs> yeah, you've got a little uh, bit of a different experience here. Well, I don't know. I was actually going to talk about your experience. Oh. And it has to do with something that happened yesterday when I was in the Portland State University Recreation Center swimming pool doing my resistance training. I don't really swim. I just do resistance against the water, and a young woman stepped into the... Oh, yeah. You know where I'm going with this. I was there for this. She stepped into the water, and I knew she was unfamiliar with the swimming pool. I think it was her first time in the water, at least in a long time. And the reason I say that is that when she put her toe in the water or her foot, it was clear that the temperature was not to her liking she was put off by what she perceived to be the really cold water. Everybody who swum or spent time in a pool <laughs> over a long period of time mm-hmm. knows that your body regulates itself really fast Pretty to the quickly, temperature. Yeah. And so the best thing is just to ignore that first shock and go ahead. Well, she got in the pool. I said, hello. And she was sort of tentative in her greeting to me. And I forgot about her for about four or five minutes, but then at a certain point, I heard this yell of terror, and there must be something in human nervous systems where if another person shrieks in a certain tone, you know they really mean it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And so what had happened is this young woman, she was in a lane adjoining my swim lane, had started walking towards the deep end, but she didn't know that instead of a gentle slope all the way to the end of the pool, there's a huge drop-off to about 10 feet from the shallow end to the deep end Mm -hmm. and it's marked with a black line as a warning Mm -hmm. she didn't know about that so she walked right past the black line and suddenly there was no floor and it terrified her and so the next moment after she shrieked was pandemonium because a lifeguard jumps in immediately Another lifeguard orders everyone else out of the pool. There's a lot of action in a moment. It's really, Mm -hmm. really very intense. And what made me think of you is that you've more or less chosen not just to be a lifeguard now, but you want a career in aquatics. Correct. So what you're working for now, the reason you take all these tests and have to deal with 
with certain kinds of unpleasantness is that your reward will be being in aquatics, being in that environment. And I wonder where that drama, by the way, that's the only time I've ever seen anyone at risk, at least that I knew was at risk in the swimming pool. Mm -hmm. I've never seen that kind of drama except yesterday. And I wonder where that kind of experience fits in to your desire to have a lifelong career in aquatics of all things. So to kind of understand your question, why do I do the things, why am I going through school to go into this job if I know the drama and all the chaos that ensues? Well, I'm, I'm not questioning it in the sense of why would you put yourself under right. that kind of stress. Yeah. I'm actually wondering if in some way it draws you to it. Ooh. The drama, maybe. So, it... That's that's an interesting question, because I've never... I've always been the, quote-unquote, the perspective of the rescue, you know? I've always been the guard and not the guarded. And so, to hear it from your perspective as just a bystander in this whole situation, not really understanding all the things, all the steps that we go through as lifeguards. No, I didn't know any of that, really. I mean, I guess I should have known. I mean, you don't need to. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot that we do as guards um, that is a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. That the average bystander will never understand. Well, right. they would understand. I shouldn't say that. They don't need to, at least. <clears throat> and so, the process of guarding goes as such. If there is someone who is struggling or drowning, we as lifeguards need to uh, react, respond, and reach. So we need to react to the person who is struggling, drowning, whatever, we need to respond, so activating our whistle, making sure that the facility knows, and then jump in the water and then reach our victim within 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. All of this happens super quickly, and we're drilled in this all the time. We're always constantly working, we're always practicing, trying to get that process down as fast as possible. Um... But generally, American Red Cross says 30 seconds. Yeah. And then if there is a <clears throat> unconscious victim, for example, or a spinal victim uh, in any capacity, the entirety of the rescue from when we recognize it, we blow our whistle, and then they're out of the water and we're performing whatever else we need to do, no more than a minute. Some, right. No so, more than a minute, minute and a half. In other words, you might be doing artificial resuscitation kinds mm-hmm. of procedures, and you know what they are. So There's a possibility of going from sitting in a chair watching people swim yeah. to performing CPR within a minute period. Mm. See, and that is what makes me wonder what the relationship is between... That awareness you have, mm-hmm. and your di- desire to pro- to uh, pursue this career, really. 
I mean, the idea of, maybe it's the idea of really being of service, you could say, somebody mm-hmm. who wants to fill a role that, you know, that you have the nervous system to handle it, you have the intelligence to remember how to do CPR, um, you have the discipline to stay on point and not get distracted, mm-hmm. perhaps, while you're doing your lifeguarding. Those are all part of the ability to do that job, but then there's the desire to do a certain kind of work. And that's where I would like to know how Why you feel. do I like guarding yeah. so much? Yeah, and you, you, you just said it. You do like it. I do. I, yeah. Right. So the physical act of lifeguarding is difficult. It is emotionally and mentally taxing. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people would say, oh, it's not that hard. All you do is watch people swim, which is true. A lot of the time. It It is is. true. It's absolutely true. It's just utter mundane banality, I guess. But the difficulties that come through with that is that we have to put all 100% of our attention on those people swimming. Because at any second, kind of like what I was saying before, I could go from sitting in that chair watching someone swim to performing CPR breaking ribs and pushing someone's heart for them, breathing yeah, for yeah. them okay. within a minute, within a minute and a half. It, it can happen so quickly, and that's why it becomes so taxing, is because we're always watching for that. We're always scanning and always making sure that, you know, in your head, you're constantly like, all right, if that person goes down, this is what I'm going to do. If that person starts to struggle, this is how I'm going to do it. You're constantly going through that in your head as you're watching these people swim. What struck me yesterday was as though a switch had been tripped and suddenly that mundane everyday people come in and swim and they leave or they go into the hot tub. Almost no one says anything. They just do their exercises and leave and it goes on uninterrupted the entire day. Yep. And then in a moment, it went from that to a rather extreme situation. I mean, I was in my lane, and I guess it was Willis as a lifeguard said, you got to get out of the pool now. And the reason I guess that that happens, they want to clear the entire pool because they want to make sure that there is nothing else going on yep. besides this one person who suddenly became terrified while they were in the water. So, to provide a little bit of context, um, this rescue was performed by one of our guards at PSU. Yeah. Uh, her name's Sam. She's one of our gooder gooder guards. <laughs> I like okay. her a lot. She's our yeah. head guard there. Um, yeah. She did a fantastic job. The victim was an active drowning victim, which means that they were conscious... And they were they were just going up and up and down in the water, where they were in the drowning process. Yes, but they were just in the very first parts of it. But she was terrified. Absolutely terrified, because drowning is one of those really scary things, and I can obviously attest to that. So drowning as a process is something that if you get caught in it, 
or if you start the process, unless there's someone there to help you, you can't get out of it on your own. That mm. it's just, it's not going to happen unless there's some outside force. Um, that includes ledges that you might be able to put your foot on or grab onto any kind of floating object or a lifeguard, another person. Those are the only things. If you're out on your lonesome, if you fall off a boat, anything like that, into um, the middle of water and yeah. no one is there to help you, that's it. That You're done. Yeah. You, you can't. And so that's... It, it justifies the reaction um, of a lot of people. And so... What it, do you mean by that? You mean the reaction of the people who are there to do the rescue or the terror makes sense to you? The terror. Um, because I think people who haven't experienced any amount of struggle, excuse me, struggling or drowning, I guess, in water don't really know the feeling. They can't, they can't empathize. Kind of like what I was talking about earlier. Yeah. They can't empathize with how horrifying the experience actually is, you know? But you know that. I do. So you know it because of your ability to empathize, or is it because you've witnessed people like that poor young woman yesterday? So, a couple things. Um, when I was a baby kid, I don't know, I was young. I barely remember this. I think I had started drowning at some mm. point. Um, it's a very, it's one of those vague memories in the very back of my head that like may or may not exist in the first place, but... I'm pretty sure it happened. Right, not just a dream you had yeah. years ago. It's yes. not some deja vu. It, I think it actually happened. All right. Um, that, additionally, with all the training that I've been through, I've actively saved, uh, I want to say, four or five people. And I just, I know the process. I've seen fear in people's eyes when they start drowning. I The panic that people go through, it's... It's intense, and it it feels, and I guess to answer your original question of why do I keep doing it, if it, especially if it's so taxing on me as a person, it's because it feels good to help, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, I that, Well, ahead. I just guess that that brings us back to the idea of empathy. It feels mm-hmm. good to help because... I guess you were going to answer that without my interruption. Go ahead. <laughs> it feels good to help because helping people feels good. That's, I can't say that it. Is so, <laughs> I don't know. There's a word for that. That's a circular kind of remark. I yeah. don't know if it goes to the depth of your feelings there, Aiden. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't. There's probably far more things that I could could say. Um, I, so, when I became a lifeguard... Um, I felt like I was put into this elite group of people mm-hmm. who have a very specific set of skills. Yeah. Um, and it, it felt good to know that I had these skills, these abilities, this opportunity to help in a very certain way. Yes. Um, the entirety of swimming is for personal benefit and enjoyment, right? Mm-hmm. So either exercise or general joy. Right. Just the pleasure of being in the water, feeling your body moving through the waves, whatever it is. Yeah. And so as a lifeguard, 
what I'm doing is that I'm providing that service for people to enjoy themselves while keeping them safe subsequently. And so knowing that my job allows people to be happy in some way makes it all worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wondered if it might not be something along those lines. I think there's a cliche about the burden of a person's working life if they're stuck in an office all day in their cubicle, maybe crunching numbers or doing whatever. And I don't mean to be condescending about that because Mm -hmm. there are probably a lot of people who like it. Oh, yeah. But I was always afraid of that myself, and I lucked out. I had a career that let me fly around in helicopters <laughs> and go to distant places and kind of be important while I was there because we had a camera. Right. You know, so that produced a kind of a status for me and the crew. Do you ever get recognized for your work? Have you ever been recognized for it? Yes. When I was hiking, uh, actually, on one of my favorite hikes, Silver Star Mountain, Mm -hmm. which is just north of Washougal, Washington, uh, I guess it was in June, uh, we met some people on the trail, and uh, they recognized my voice. No way. No, I'm not kidding. It actually (laughs) happened, which is cool. But bringing it back to you, you're not going to be in a cubicle. Uh, or are you? I mean, see, uh, it, it's, I wonder about that. It's questionable. So my career path involves, <clears throat> or at least how it's kind of looking right now, uh, a lot of collegiate aquatics programs or uh, parks and rec aquatic programs. And the managers of that and the coordinators, the supervisors, all that, they always have offices, so I don't know if I'll be—I don't know if I'll be cubicle, but I'll be office. Yeah, the office out the window. Yeah, waiting for five o'clock to come <laughs> along. Yeah, and it's—I'm always going to be stuck in the pool. So, but the other thing is, is like with these positions, with these jobs, with these careers, um, I have the opportunity to escape the desk, escape the the office. And then enjoy the facility that I run. Right, because it's an environment that for whatever reason really appeals to you. Could you break down what it is about a giant swimming pool in a huge room that's just filled with echoes and the sound of whatever machines are continually pumping the water? I mean, what is it about that that is so appealing to you. It's comforting. No. Yeah, it's comforting. So, the essence of a pool, the smell of the chlorine. All right. I'm going to I'm going to admit this, I love the smell of chlorine. <laughs> I That's absolutely amazing. love it. Ha. It that also might be one of those where I've been exposed to it for so long that you I associate it. Yeah, you associate it with something. Oh yeah, I mean every time I smell chlorine, it's it's I know I know that there's a pool and I know that I have the opportunity to do something with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's mostly the smell. Honestly, it's the smell. It's the feeling of the air. It's 
It's kind of gross air. I will admit to that as well. It's humid and it's kind of stuffy sometimes. Maybe. I've not noticed the stuffiness, but I'll, I'll just yeah. take your word for it. Yeah. And so having the smell and the feeling all come together and knowing that my experiences at pools with those smells, with the feelings, with the general placing of everything is comforting to me. Yeah. Ultimately. And so one of the biggest reasons I continue guarding um, is because of the people that I meet. Uh, their intelligence, their dedication. Uh, Just, what is it about them? I mean, are they unique? Are they different than the people you would meet otherwise? Well, yeah. So um, I've always loved my coworkers. That's a huge thing. Yeah. And a lot of the job is being isolated and quiet and pretty stoic. You're not supposed to talk. And so when you do get to talk to people, it becomes far more personal because we have to get in what we can before we have to separate entirely, you know? Mm -hmm. And so either my coworkers or patrons that come in, I mean, you, for example, you know, how... I was supposed to be alone and watch the water and be silent and do that. But Jim would come in and he would talk to me and we'd have a conversation and it felt good knowing that someone I was providing a service to was enjoying themselves and I was providing this conversation and he was talking back to me and it was just, I don't know, I don't get that opportunity many other places. Yeah. Um, Also at the PSU Rec Center, I do student building supervision, which is... Student building supervision? What does that mean? So the title itself is student building supervisor. Okay. And what I do is that I put on a gray shirt, I have a radio and keys, Ah. and I do laundry. Okay. (laughs) That's what I do. All right. Um, And... In that time, I'm usually at the front desk or up with the fitness people or, you know, just kind of wandering around. And I have all this opportunity to talk to people. Mm-hmm. I have opportunity to talk to my coworkers, um, patrons, anything like that. But yeah. it, it's not the same. Because I have so much opportunity to talk to people, and this is far more of a social job than lifeguarding is, yeah. I don't have that drive to connect with the people. Okay. All right. Because so it's so available, I guess. So the restrictions while you're lifeguarding make whatever human contact you have more precious to you in yeah, some way. Yeah, that's exactly it. Because, you know, it's one of those things where it's taken away from me for X amount of time. And so when I do get the opportunity again to have it, I'm going to take it less for granted, mm. I guess. It's interesting to hear you talk about your environment. And, you know, I certainly, when I was with a camera crew and we went in some usually huge vehicle out into the outback of Oregon, you know, we'd be in a, uh, a Nissan Armada, for example, which is a 
big SUV lumbering over (laughs) really rough roads to get to whatever location. And then we would be there, and it might be out in the Alvor Desert, or it could perhaps be on some Forest Service road in the mountains. But you get out of the car, and you're there with a certain kind of silence. Maybe there's a crow in the distance Mm -hmm. echoing through the canyons or something, or you can hear the wind, but there is a silence that isn't really a silence. I mean, it has an atmosphere all its own, and the air is fresh, generally. Yeah. And um, I liked that. I kind of lived for that experience a lot of the time. And I, like you really valued the interactions that we had. Mm -hmm. Often I'd be in a car with a photographer for hours at a time. But that was never boring to me. Somehow there is a respect that got generated, at least in my experience, between the photographer and the producer. And so we kind of have to know what the other person is thinking a lot of the time because you're moving really fast. You're trying to get all of the elements Mm -hmm. to be able to put a story together. So you develop this intimacy of a certain type that's Uh very creative. And um, I don't know. I guess maybe in your case, too, your respect for the people that choose to become lifeguards and are able to pass whatever hurdles there are to prove that they have the nervous system, they have the intelligence, they have whatever the capacity is you have to have to save people's lives. Once they've proven they're there, you respect them. Absolutely. Um, See, anybody, anybody truly has the capacity to become a lifeguard. It's the capacity to stay one that is much harder. Say more. I don't know what you mean. So the Red Cross offers lifeguard courses all the time. I teach them. I've taught several people. There, anybody has the ability, has the capacity, has the physical need to be a lifeguard. So You can be a lifeguard if you tried. <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh, one other factor we sometimes mention on the show is that there's a 50... Five zero year age difference between Aiden and me. Well, it's more than that. It's 52 years, I guess. Because <laughs> Aiden, in my understanding, is 20. Yep. And I'm 72. So he just said I could be a lifeguard. I think, if you tried hard enough, I think you could do it. I got so many aches and pains. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. But have you ever seen someone in one of your courses that you thought to yourself, I'm going to fluke this son of a bitch because they don't really have what it takes to be a lifeguard? Has that ever happened? No, right? Never has. You said, you kind of said anybody can be a lifeguard. Yeah. I mean, there are prerequisites that you have to pass. Oh, before they get to your... Yeah, before they can even be in the class. Okay, I see. Um... So the prerequisites include a 300-yard swim, a mm. brick tread, and a uh, two minutes treading without your hands. A brick tread? Yeah. You tread water with <laughs> holding a various aquatic number brick. of... Oh, aquatic so brick. Okay. It's either 
it's called a brick tread or a brick sprint is what it is. And you swim to one end of the pool, you dive, you pick up this 10-pound brick. Mm-hmm. And then you carry it on your chest and you swim all the way back ah. to the other side of the pool. Okay. Holding the brick so you can't use your arms anymore. Correct. Wow, that is a challenge. Mm-hmm. And it's to simulate uh, a spinal victim. Okay, someone that you and you alone are going to be able to uh, keep above the water. keep their nose above yeah. water, more or less. Mm-hmm. Uh. So, I mean, anybody has the capacity to pass that, you know. Um, well, if they yeah, if they have the you, prerequisite, yeah. sure. If you feel like you physically can do those prerequisites, then by all means. And so the information that it takes to be a lifeguard is not difficult. Mm-hmm. I might be a little biased just because I've been doing it for so long. It's no longer difficult to me. Yeah. But in my mind, when I see new people try it, and I see the little mistakes that they make, and, you know, it's fine, but it doesn't take a whole lot to train them to do the exactly right thing, you know? Okay. It's, the skills are easy, the first aid is easy, the CPR is easy. Training for it, easy. The actual act of doing it, the physical, real deal act, takes a little bit of guts to do that. And so... Well, what do you mean now? You The, the actual fact of doing... A rescue... Oh, right. In mm-hmm. real time. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does seem like that. Yeah. Everybody was calm yesterday, rescuing that poor young woman who was so terrified. Mm-hmm. Everybody was very calm, and matter of fact, their affects didn't change at all. And I thought that was impressive, and you're saying a lot of people might become so agitated they would lose their focus and that would be a person you might, you know, redline and say, I don't think this is exactly what you want to do. Yeah. So the way that we kind of figure that out is that we perform scenarios. And so during the lifeguard course, what happens, one of the final things that you have to do is that you guard from the side of the pool or in a chair or wherever you are. Yeah. and Always in theory, anyway, watching. Mm-hmm. And one of your teachers or one of the other guards or someone will at some point start drowning. They will give you no warning. They will give you no criteria. There will probably be, at least when we try to do it, there's a ton of people in the pool. There's everything going on. And then we give the victim a specific place that they need to do a specific drowning scenario. You mean this could be during lap swim? Mm -hmm. Wow. With the lifeguards being tested, given no heads up that this might happen on this day. Ironically. So, ironically. Yes. (laughs) The day yesterday... Right. That the uh, the actual rescue happened. Yeah. We were going to do one of those. Oh no! Really? <laughs> yep. And then the real thing. The came real along. thing happened. Yep. <laughs> you know, speaking of empathy, I wondered about that young woman. She seemed so vulnerable to me when she was getting into the pool. I watched her walk into the facility, and yeah. I could tell immediately that she was not going to be able to. Uh, 
functionally swim. Oh, you could. Mm -hmm. Was it something about her obvious unfamiliarity? Can you say more about it? Can you paint a word picture of what cued you to that opinion of her so quickly? She's a young woman. I mean, she was not tall. Right. So I've been doing this for so long, and I've noticed trends in people's ability to swim. And one of the biggest trends is always in the face. Yeah. Always, do they look uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. And if immediately right away they look uncomfortable, there's no way that they're going to be able to functionally swim. Yeah. You know? Um, And so... Age has something to do with it as well. Obviously, if you're a child, you aren't going to be the best swimmer. Um, And when she walked in, I noticed she was clutching a towel. Clutching it to her chest. The movement that you just made was mimicking her, and you clutched Mm -hmm. your arms towards your chest. So it was definitely keeping her stuff around her, just to her. Protectively. Mm Mm-hmm. And they came alone. Um, likewise, as they walk through... She, in this case. She, yeah. She um, was looking around, trying to get all the stimulus of the pool, kind of figure things out. Right. And if someone... And that could I could have drawn it up to, oh, it's just their first time at the pool. Like, obviously, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. But anybody with any amount of swimming proficiency, no matter where you are, you do have a certain amount of confidence in what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah, you've been here. you got mm-hmm. this. There's probably. either a face of complete neutrality yes. or confidence. Sure. That's, One of the other. Swim, I agree with you. That's where it's yep. going to be. Yep. Yep. Anything yep. below neutrality in the face mm-hmm. or in the movements, however they walk, however they're on the deck... Yes. You know that it's not going to go well. <laughs> I see. Yeah. Um, when they're in the water, that's that's a whole different thing. If they are very clearly uncomfortable, if they don't want to go above their like belly button or just above right. their chest. They want to sort of be out of the water. As it's much as too possible. cold. And somehow mm-hmm. it's just not pleasant. I saw that yeah. in her. Um, additionally, if they start, if they can swim a little bit, but they're keeping their head out of the water as much as possible, and it's to a point hindering their movement, that's something else that we look for. That's Mm -hmm. something I see a lot, where people are, you know, doing the front crawl, which is one arm over the other, and normally when you do that, you're supposed to have your face in the water, and then you swim, and then turn your head to the side to take a breath. Yes. But what I see a lot is people who are, like, swimming on their side, have their head all the way out of the water, and then the other arm comes around, and the head stays all the way out, and then it goes to the other side, and they're on their side again, and they look up. Right, right, right. And so that's a sign of unfamiliarity or uncomfort... Uncomfort? Discomfort. Discomfort. Thank you. (laughs) Discomfort in the water. And in the case of this woman, Mm -hmm. what happens after an experience, which I assume might not have been the most severe trauma in the world, but she's going to remember that. Oh, for yeah. a long, long time. Oh, absolutely. 
I know it's not you guys' responsibility to counsel a person and somehow get them out of that mm-hmm. memory or that, right. that trauma of it, but do you have any sense uh, if it's likely that she'll ever come back to a pool and take that chance again? I uh, wonder. So, there's several things that could happen. Um, there, okay. Um, she could be too traumatized or scared about that experience happening because she took a chance and that chance ended up being terrible. Yeah. You know? Which it seemed like from mm-hmm. my perspective. Right. Not ever, ever, ever exchanging a word with her, ever. Yeah. And so now she could be too scared to come back. Totally yeah. understandable. Or now she knows, she didn't know about the, the black line in the pool before. Now she does. Now she has that information. She has the information that the guard is on top of things. As soon as she started struggling, they were in the water. Yeah, yeah, and right so away. She now knows extra information. She now knows how efficient the lifeguards can be yes. and in their training and everything. Right, right. And so she could come back better prepared and with a bit more you know, planning in mind as to what she wants to do and how she plans on doing it. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's with anything like that, it's always kind of a 50, 50 thing. Um, of all the people that I have rescued when I was at the North Clackamas Aquatic Park. And you did have to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. How many times approximately? Four or five. Really? Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Oh, it was a big water park. Oh, yeah. man. <clears throat> there was a... Oh, God. There was a guard who we had who had, in a year, 32 rescues. No! But I do want to point out that most, if not all of them, were bullshit. <laughs> oh, and how do you mean? They weren't really drowning? or. No. I watched. I watched half of them. They weren't drowning. So what was he doing? Just trying to build up his statistics somehow? Then are you I saying, think so. Oh no! Yeah, a fraud amongst the lifeguards. It's a travesty. A hero complex. Yeah, right. Or something like that. But you know, it it happens. I mean, we always say better safe than sorry. But if you have to stop operations in the pool. A dozen get times. Every, get everybody out of the pool. And do all the whole thing, and we got to go through all the paperwork to inflate your ego, then fuck you. Mm. Well, from my perspective, I learned a new dimension of what happens at a public pool yesterday. And I was impressed with the entire dynamic. I was impressed with the machinery that kicks into gear when someone's at risk at a swimming pool. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea how that worked before. And it was very impressive to me. Watching guards work when they actually do the rescues yeah. is fascinating stuff. It is. Um, if you're interested, there's a in-water skills training tonight for guards if you want to watch. <laughs> I've not thought of it. I can check my schedule, maybe, at my work. 
I don't know if we should start making lifeguarding a spectacle, but, you know. It is interesting, though. We work for snacks. That's admirable. <laughs> for you, you require so little. Yeah. We're at 43 minutes plus right now in Inherently Human. I guess that means that we should start to wrap it up. I think so. I th- I've said my part. I don't. I, do you have anything you want to? No, add? I think I. All I really wanted to say in summary was how impressed I was with the functionality of everyone involved in that rescue. And again, I guess what really comes to mind for me is the fear that she was. This young woman was able to express. In microseconds by crying mm-hmm. out. I mean, I got it on a visceral level how terrified she was. And, you know, I really thank God that you people were there to take her out of that horrendous situation, really. We appreciate the sentiment, actually. Yeah. We don't we don't get recognized for what we do a lot, so it, it, it means a lot to hear that. And I'll definitely let the other guards know. Cool, and now, um, now they can hear it for themselves, too. Oh, yeah. If only they'll <laughs> look for on whatever site. We decide to put these on again. Yeah. So currently we have it on SoundCloud. Um, additionally, we uh, have started adding it to YouTube. Yes. So we're, we're, we're cross-platform, and so we'll, uh, we'll, start, we'll start being more popular eventually. Yeah, I think you're right. I have faith in us. My name's Jim Newman. I'm Aiden DeBoard. And this is Inherently Inherited Human. Human. Episode what? Eight. <laughs> it's eight. eight. This it's is eight. episode eight. <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a great day and be safe, please. Bye-bye. <laughs>